0: Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Power tools is a really interesting category. Let me tell you, mate, it's not. It really is. It's really interesting to you. No, no, no. I mean, I've listened to your (laughs) soccer stories. You're going to sit down and listen to my power tools.
1: Yeah, okay. They did a hell of a lot of research. It said that they should sell X amount of units. They invested millions in producing this bloody thing. It didn't sell and within a year, it was dropped.
0: Where I think that it's effective, though, where I think it's, it's kind of brilliant, is that it's explaining the simple idea of positioning, which is you need to create a product that meets the needs of some group of people in a new and different way that I think can help some people understand it better.
1: It's pickle time, Ryan.
0: It's my favorite time, Colin.
1: Pickles. I right. love pickles. So, pickle is a business problem. We've got this really interesting business problem today that somebody um, has written into us whose, whose name shall be remain nameless. Whose name should we remain nameless? That's an
0: unusual name to have, isn't it? Remain nameless. What's <laughs> I your name? It's Colin, Remain it. Nameless. If you're going to make fun of yourself, then I will certainly pile on. Absolutely. I actually named my second child Nameless, so it's not as unusual as you think it. Is. it was, a, was that a surname or
1: was it a middle name?
0: <laughs> the first name. Uh, nameless Hamilton. Yeah, he's very popular. Yeah.
1: Anyway, podcast, the podcast is going well so far, so yeah. let's carry on. So anyway, they've written in and basically said that they've done their research, they've launched a new product, but the product isn't selling as the research predicted. And therefore, what's the problem? Which is, uh, I guess, uh, a classic one, isn't it? You do the research, you think you've got a great product, and then it doesn't sell to the extent that you think it should.
0: Yeah, what, what could be more frustrating? Customers are indicating in your research that this thing should be selling very well, and then you actually get all the time and trouble of putting it together, and it turns out it, it doesn't actually sell. So this is, this is a good pickle to attack. It is. I think I, I can think in the kind of two broad strokes here. It's possible that you're doing the wrong kind of research. And so you're, you're getting back answers that are kind of correct in some way, but are relevant. Or it could be that you're doing the research fine and your your customers genuinely don't know what they want until they see it. I don't know, are there, are there other kind of broad strokes ways you can think of this going wrong before we dig into some specifics?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's, for me, it goes back to... As when I read this, it goes back to what I've said many, many times, which is there's a difference between what customers say and what customers do. So, and again, people will have heard me say my famous example of Disney know that when they ask their customers what they want to eat at theme park, Disney know that people say they want to have an, an option of a salad. But Disney also know that people don't eat salads at theme parks. They eat hot dogs and hamburgers.
0: We've used that example a lot, Colin, and it's a good yeah. one. But let's, like, let's break that down. Let's talk about sure. why why people do that and why that's a problem, All right? So, my my interpretation of that—I'd be interested to hear your take. I assume that that this might be kind of a mindset problem, where if you're asking me in any kind of research setting, I may be in a just in a different frame of mind than I would be when I was in that consumption setting. If I'm thinking about Myself as a a person, well, I've got these health goals, and so ask me what kind of things I'd want, and I'm like, well, I I like a salad, I I eat those, not infrequently. But then when when I'm not in that research setting, when I'm actually at the park, and now I'm in a completely different frame of mind, now I'm interested in just having fun, and this is vacation. And so to a certain extent, I'm two different people when I'm consuming and when I'm answering the research questions.
1: Yeah, I was having a chat with a mate of mine last night. We went for dinner with them. He was talking about the sort of the way that we human beings have this persona of ourselves, what we think that we look to like, to the outside. Well, yeah, and then there's the reality, you know, of of what we are really like. So, yeah, I'm. So for me, it's absolutely that which is. Yes, I must eat. I'm about healthy food, about healthy living. I'm on a, I am on ai want to eat the right things. But in the moment, and that's the key phrase for me, in the moment, I get wrapped up in being at Disney and everything else and decide to, to buy
0: this salad. So, I mean, to a certain extent, this is a limitation of all research, or at least of all research that's not happening through observation and in the moment, right? Yes. I assume you're in the same boat. Like I'm I'm not down on research. I think research is wonderful. I think you can provide all kinds of wonderful things, great insights. But this is a huge caveat. Like This is something that we should always be cautious of when we are looking to apply research is that to a greater or lesser extent, the people that we are asking their opinions of are going to be different from the people who are making those decisions later, even if it's the same people. And this is
1: just for the listener, this is where we're gonna get down to in this podcast, which is looking at the true motivation yeah. of that. So so but but let's carry on let's carry on, on this and move move down to that in a minute. So yeah, I, I think the, the other interesting thing isn't isn't it, is just the way the research is done. And I don't know in the case of Disney, but did they have a pull down menu that gave people options? And because this has happened to me, where you you're doing some research, and and then you're thinking to yourself, well, they we haven't got what I want, or they haven't, I can't give them the feedback that I because that I've already got these pre-selected ideas, so they've really clearly got an idea, and then you get into. I always remember you probably never saw it over here, but there was a really good comedy program called Yes Minister. I've heard of it. Yes, really great. I love it. It's about government. And how you can use, and this example that I'm thinking about, we'll try and put the link in the show notes actually, is how you can manipulate the questions to get the answers
0: to what you want. Right. (laughs) Yeah, There's a name for that in political science. It's called push polling. Oh, okay. Deliberately ask you leading questions to get the response that we want. Yes. Either to persuade you. So it's kind of like a self advertising campaign. Uh, or to just get the numbers back out that we can then promote the way we want to. Sorry, sorry. Yes. Though, I interrupted. Keep
1: going. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what it is. This, it was about in this comedy program they are talking about introducing conscript conscription, conscription you yeah, know, for young people. So <laughs> it was the, the the questions like, you know, do you think the youngsters of today need some discipline and guidance? Do you think the you know, so you ask these four or five different questions that lead up to it, and then you say, "Do you think we should have a conscription?" And of course, the answer is yes. Well, you've asked me like five things. So How in the hell can I say you know no? And yourself an account, basically. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll try and put a link in the in the show notes for that.
0: But... I mean, no, nobody in marketing is doing this on purpose. Like nobody's designing a push for because you actually genuinely want people's responses, but we might be doing it accidentally, right? I mean, it's it's hard for us to be completely unbiased if we're involved in a project. And so we might ask kind of leading questions, even if we're not doing it on purpose, to kind of get to a place where whoever's answering the research survey, you know, like you said, on the drop menus, like the order that you put the responses in the drop or, or the other options that are there that might influence, make one look particularly good. All these things can bias our research results. Yes,
1: no, absolutely. And then it goes down, doesn't it, to sort of, and what we were talking about was that, the sort of that hidden motivation. Yeah. So, you know, the example of that for me is, I need to have a hole in my wall of a certain size so I can hang a picture. So what, what's the real reason that I want the, do I need a drill bit or is the drill bit part of a larger thing, which actually is I want to hang a picture of my grandchildren at the home at Sarasota. So I don't miss them, you know, I feel connected to them. And that for me is where people don't get to in their research. They are, they're dealing very much at that sort of transactional end rather than understanding that true motivation so
0: yeah I, I remember when my grandparents told me that they no longer missed me because they had a picture of me on their wall and so i was, <laughs> I was no longer necessary. and they could turn it around couldn't that's they true. so you you've just <laughs> faced yeah, the wheel no i mean it, it, that's a great example right because a drill is a drill is a drill i mean it's just you know it's a thing that spins around and makes holes how nuanced can it be but the the Fact is that there are people for whom the drill is a avenue towards self-expression. My fifteen-year-old daughter is at an age where, like most fifteen-year-olds, like defining who she is and expressing that is very, very important to her. So her walls are just covered with forms of self-expression. And last night, she asked me to hang two little miniature plant holders off of her wall, right? And I needed to use my drill for that. Now. I use my drill for lots of other things. I'm a hobbyist woodworker. And so that drill for me, it, I mean, I guess it's another form of self-expression, but it it has an entirely different meaning to me. And somebody who is buying a drill just for the purposes that my daughter was wanting it for, which was kind of home decor, would, would have a different underlying set of motivations than I have as somebody who uses the same type of tool for for a different usage, right? A different underlying yeah. motivation.
1: And and that's where I think with th- this pickle and this problem is the big question is, do you understand customers' real underlying motivations behind this? And clearly, sometimes the customer doesn't even know themselves, uh, and therefore they're being driven by, by things they're not aware of even themselves. So, you know, how do you... How do you pixie the issues? Yeah.
0: So, I mean, the power tools is a really interesting category. Let me tell you, mate, it's not. It really is. It's really interesting to you. No, no, no. no. I mean, I've listened to your soccer stories. You're (laughs) going to sit down and listen to my power tools.
1: Yeah, okay. Hold on. Let me just put put this chair back a bit so I can start relaxing. Yeah,
0: that chair was put together with power tools. (laughs) No, I, I, teach, I teach a case to my MBA students about DeWalt, which is a brand of power tools which is owned by Black & Decker. And one of the, the fascinating aspects of this case was, so Black & Decker was, was making a set of tools for professional tradesmen and they were not doing well. And it had nothing to do with performance. Like if you'd asked these tradesmen, like, what do you want in power tools? They would have given you a list of, of performance metrics, right? We want the battery to last a certain length. We want a certain amount of power and torque and reliability. And Black and Decker was meeting all of those benchmarks. The problem was Black and Decker also sold a line of consumer grade tools that looked very similar. And so, to borrow a Colin phrase, these roughy tufty construction workers were picking up these Black and Decker tools that looked very much like the tools that, like a casual homeowner would have in their closet. And so, it, it wasn't to be associated their- with them. Yeah, it wasn't meeting their underlying need of needing to feel like a professional. And so what they did is they scrapped the brand. They they sold almost exactly the same tools, but under the DeWalt brand now. And it was this bright yellow color, and they kind of beefed up some of the design so that it looked kind of more tough and rugged. And I had a student point out that who would worked in construction, and he's like, "That those bright yellow tools, they look fantastic. We take them out of the box." They also get scratched up and dirty almost immediately, which is a plus for this category because that shows that you use your tool. I mean, it was just, it was a brilliant bit of branding that would have yeah. never come out of research because if sure. you asked these guys, they would have told you all we care about is torque, right? That's the only thing that matters.
1: No, that's a, that's a, that's a really good example. The, the irony now of that is, though, isn't it, that, that you can buy the DeWalt yeah. brand consumer
0: yeah and they do have this persona of being more professional and something like that so so i I think we've stumbled into another podcast topic entirely which i would love for us to get into at some point but yeah which is the kind of the relationship between brand and then the the audience that buys the brand and you'll see these fluctuations all the time i think you're right that dewalt is not seen as the same grade of professional tool that it was 20 years ago when they sure. launched for exactly the reason that you, Makita too. Sure. And that's created space for other of these tool brands like Festool is one. And there's, uh, we, we just finally stumbled into a topic I was in, interested in, Colin. We're done talking about Apple. So now we're now gonna talk about <laughs> Power Tools.
1: You know what, I, I was just sitting there thinking to myself, he's talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this well, is well. clearly an area that he's enjoying.
0: <laughs> I make no apologies. <laughs> it's created a space for newer brands in the last yeah. 20 years who can move into that more professional niche. And I, I would yes. expect that over time, the same thing will happen again. And these super elite brands will kind of become a little bit more pedestrian. That'll create space at the top. I think that happens in a lot of industries. So, Because that's... anyone wants to hear about that, write in a pickle and then we can... <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I can see you're going to send in a pickle yourself now, aren't you? <laughs>
0: We've got a question here from Brian. about <laughs> yeah. Brian Hamilton from Graham. Emory
1: University. Yeah.
0: <laughs> from Emory University. <laughs> well, that sounds yeah. like a fascinating pickle, Colin. I'm glad you chose yeah. that one.
1: How are you going to grow your market when everyone is competing on the same things? What are your customers' unmet needs in your market? What drives and destroys most value for you and what are you going to do first? Since 2005, we've been helping organizations answer these questions. Our unique discovery tool, the Emotional Signature, will change the way that you look at your market. Let's have an informal conversation on how we may be able to help you. To set this up, simply go to beyondphilosophy.com/contact. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash contact and we look forward to talking to you so let's get off of talking power tools otherwise we'll be talking tools for the rest of the show when you start looking at and we were chatting weren't we about say like a watch yeah i know you're gonna talk about in a moment this sort of jobs to be done but yeah which is what's the function of a watch well it's to tell you the time So I either buy a watch that costs me ten dollars, that will tell me the time, or I buy a watch that's two, three grand. Yeah, maybe not. And they both do the same job, but with one, you know, with the higher end, there's a whole different motivation about of why somebody would buy that, which is obviously to do with status and
0: all those yeah, what's, what's, what's really fun is when you get examples where those two sets of motivations come into conflict, like there may be some brands of really expensive watch that actually don't tell time very well, that don't <laughs> don't keep, but they, they're very high status. That happened in car brands for a while. So in the 1980s, DeLorean was a very high status car. It was the car in the Back to the Future movies. Also, notoriously not a good car. So, if the purpose of a car is to get you from one place to another, transportation DeLoreans apparently would break down all the time. Jaguar was another example. There was a period of time. But sorry, just before
1: you moved on to the Jaguar, the great thing about the DeLorean was that you could go back in time and you could fix the fault before you. (laughs)
0: It was an optional extra. You would never late, even if your car did break down. (laughs) Start up the yeah. flux capacitor, and
1: uh... <laughs> sorry, you were saying about Jaguar.
0: Yeah, oh yeah, Jaguar. There was a period of time, you know, in the nineteen eighties where Jaguar was an extremely high status car, and from from what I understand, also not very reliable. So it would just it would break a lot, and so you know, you sometimes people are willing to to get kind of this status motivation, even in cases where that means it's not doing its primary functional job very
1: well. Yeah, and another example is um, back in the day when I was in corporate life, we launched this product called Tonto, okay? And this this product, so I was in telecoms and it, it was a telephone system or a telephone, but it had a QWERTY keyboard and it had micro drives. I don't know if anybody ever remembered micro drives and a screen. And the interesting
0: bit is, this was a major product launch so it sounds like it's kind of a desktop smartphone almost
1: well yeah yeah i mean it's like probably about the size of a of a, of a laptop now yeah but obviously back in them those days you didn't have laptops really you know desktops were all, all, all around anyway what's the key learning the key learning here was they did a hell of a lot of research it said that they should sell x amount of units they invested millions in producing this bloody thing it didn't sell and within a year it was dropped and so that's part of well i've got all this research but actually the product's not there and for me that was it was addressing a a perceived need that the customer didn't have the research told them that it had all this wonderful needs and everything else but actually it wasn't it was probably the engineers who thought, "Oh well, if we add a hokey-cokey four thousand to this, and we add this, and we add that, it, you know, who wouldn't want to buy this?"
0: Right, you know? right. It's yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of innovation that happens that way, where it's kind of at the level of the engineering, and like, look, look at this new bell that we can add here, or this new whistle that we can add there, and some of that may even line up with some of what customers are saying in, in research. But unless it gets down to this kind of fundamental underlying motivation, like, is it solving a problem for the customer yeah. in a way that they can understand, then something. ultimately do. So do you want to talk about this jobs to be done
1: bit? Because I know yeah. that you refer yeah. to it on your courses. Yeah. So I, I
0: teach this as part of the my introductory marketing class. So this is a jobs to be done is a framework that was developed by Clayton Christensen at Harvard Business School, published several articles, and I think a couple of books on it. On the one hand, so I'm going to give you like kind of the, the pros and cons of it. It's mostly pro. I I'm, I, I like the framework. From my perspective, most of, of the jobs to be done framework is not actually anything new. It's not, like, it's not like a new idea. To me, it's just positioning. So in marketing strategy, there's segmentation and targeting and positioning. That's kind of your your marketing strategy. Jobs to be done is just positioning. Where I think that it's effective, though, where I think it's it's kind of brilliant, is that it's explaining the simple idea of positioning, which is you need to create a product that meets the needs of some group of people. It's explaining that idea in a new and different way that I think can help some people understand it better. That's why I teach it, and that's why I'm, if people end up resonating with this and it makes sense to them, then I encourage them to use it. So, jobs to be done. The the basic idea of the jobs to be done framework is essentially think about any purchase a customer makes as that customer hiring that product or service to do a job for them. So, you know, when we talked about the, the drill, putting a hole in the wall to hang a picture, like the job that the customer wants to be done is to express themselves through home decor or to, you know, feel closer to family. You know, what that that's the job. And so I'm hiring this tool to do that job for me. And I think that the real power and insight of this framework is when we take it to the next step and ask, like, w- would the customer then fire that product or service? Or would they rehire? Like, would they go back and choose to, to hire that product or service again to do a similar job? Uh, and if not, well, that's that's where problem is. We're, we're, we're failing to, to do the job that the customer wanted us to do, to, that they hired us to do. Why is the hiring bit important? It's just a different way of thinking about the same problem, right? So it's, it's a way of thinking about purchases from the perspective of meeting needs as opposed to, right? If you were to hire an employee for philosophy, you wouldn't just do it because you wanted to spend money. Sure. You would hire that employee because sure. you had a specific okay. job sure. within your organization yep. that needed yeah. to be done. Like I said, it's, it's not fundamentally a new idea. It is no. a different way of thinking about it though, that I think for at yeah. least some people resonates and makes more sense.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree and I've liked the framework. I think part of it is just pushing yourself sort of intellectually to think about what is the customer actually doing here? And that leads to understanding the true motivations behind what the customer's doing.
0: Can I give you the example that I use in class? Yeah, please. To kind of bring this home for for especially for my students who are younger than me, I should have a slide where I show the logos of a dozen different social media platforms. Right? So Facebook and, and Twitter and YouTube and, and TikTok and all fundamentally, from like a like a, a strategy perspective, they all kind of do the same thing. Right? It's all ways for individual people to share information with other people or groups of people, right? We can text or video or, or pictures. A lot of them do multiples of these, but that's fundamentally what all social media platforms do. So from that perspective, they should all be the same, like they shouldn't do. But when I show them all those logos and I say, do you use all of these platforms to do the same job for you? Like these platforms do different things for you. And then they they say, oh, right, yeah. Like, I, w- I wouldn't use Twitter for this. I would use Instagram for that. Or I, would, I wouldn't use TikTok to meet this need. I would use YouTube to meet that need. And I think that makes it a little bit more concrete for them. So we're hiring these different social media platforms to do different jobs for us. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, good, good.
1: So let's go back to the pickle and let's go back to maybe just sort of summarize our thoughts here so the pickle is they've done research and they're not getting the sales that they expect so what can they do the key issue for me is is the first issue which is well what research have you done and what type of research because again and we could wax lyrical about this couldn't we there are very different forms of research that you could do but the key issue for me is are you getting at the underlying motivation of the real reason that the customer wants the product? Or do you have some preconceived ideas what that is and your biases as an organization of bias to say or whatever it, it it may be? And typically, I find in cases like this, it is that underlying reason that's that's missing, isn't
0: it? Yeah. I mean, if we, if we could spin that under the, to I think, three different quick pieces of advice. One is to use multiple research methods when possible, yeah. right? So yeah, surveys are great. You can get yeah. some real good quantitative data out of surveys, but they've got blind spots. You know, Can you also do some observational techniques? Can you also do some other things? The second one is for a lot of decisions that we wanna make, getting the research as close to the actual behavior as possible is gonna be really helpful. So again, we talked about how people are in a different frame of mind. When they're in the kind of answering a hypothetical research survey than when they're actually in the theme park ordering lunch and then the third one is can you get some people who are not directly involved in the project involved sure. in the research whether that's an independent group within your organization whether that's hiring an outside group of, of consultants or or research uh, research people to, to do that for you but it's really hard for us to step out of our own perspective, and that can sometimes bias the way that we design our research. Getting some third parties involved,
1: and I particularly like your your thought around. And we're talking about ethnography, aren't we? Which yeah, is, you know, a a watching what customers do at the point they're doing it, and then being able to pick those little things, you know, even the micro expressions, and being able to dive down into into that, I think, is is really, really powerful.
0: Yeah, I had a, a friend who, who did that kind of research and was doing an ethnography on uh, parents buying jars of baby food. So he was just sitting in the grocery aisle watching people look at baby food. And he said it was really common for, for these parents to pick up these jars of baby food and then, like, squeeze the jar as if it right. was fruit, and then sometimes even put it up to their nose to smell, these things that we would do as we were selecting fruit or vegetables, if you asked them, nobody would be aware that they were doing this. People were not doing this. It was an automatic, intuitive response. But he took from that kind of the importance of communicating the freshness of the foods. And so they recommended they change the packaging and more pictures of fresh fruits and vegetables and all that kind of stuff. And these, these were insights that you would never get out of a survey necessarily
1: absolutely and i think just reinforcing what you're saying it should be a mixture of things and that's the the key so good so we we hope that's helped and we hope that your cells improve or and we don't hope it's like one of these wonderful tonto machines where you're then just going to chunk it there's probably some warehouse with (laughs) a load of tontos full of micro drives that um If anybody wants to buy, then they'll they'll be going very cheap, I'm sure.
0: So thanks very much, everybody. And we look forward to talking to you next week. When we will talk exclusively about power tools. So look forward to that (laughs) next week.
1: (laughs) Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review.